That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It's another Friday. We're heading into a big, big weekend, especially for those who manufacture chocolate eggs. This is the weekend of all weekends from their perspective. From an Arsenal perspective, of course, you've got a fairly big game on the horizon at Anfield, taking on Liverpool, who have been not great this season, but for the most part, they've kind of been not great away from home and pretty good at home. But this is what happens when you get to this point of a season. All the games feel big. None of the games are easy. But that comes with the territory of being where we are and what we're doing and what we've done so far this season. It's been it's been pretty quiet, you know, when it comes to news, uh, Arsenal news anyway this week. And that is a consequence of the fact that we're good and we're winning games and we beat Leeds 4-1 and everyone loved it. And that's that's kind of all there is to say about it, you know. But when you don't win, when you don't play well, when something goes wrong, There is a lot more to discuss, a lot more to analyze, because everyone has their own idea about what happened, why it happened, etc., etc. So let me just state for the record here that I really, really, really hope for about seven or eight more really quiet weeks of Arsenal news, because at the end of that, there will be, all things going well, a news explosion. And I'm ready for all of it. I'm ready for the quietness. I'm ready for the explosion. And I'm sure that all of you guys are too. A little bit later on, we will be talking to Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap about Liverpool's season, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, and uh, what we can expect a little bit on Sunday from them. I'll also be giving you a bit of an update, a bit more information on the fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation that we're doing in tandem with our friends at the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Some details on that to come as well. But to kick off the show, how about, I don't know, a genuine Arsenal legend? Sounds pretty good to me, so it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show former Arsenal goalkeeper David Seaman. Hi, David. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm, uh, I've still got a smile on my face as we're, we're still top and we're still giving it a right good old go. We, we are. I mean, how, how do you view this season? You know, you've been around football for a long time and I think before this season began, Arsenal fans were hoping for you know, improvement. We could see that the team was growing and things were going in the right direction. But were you expecting it to be quite like this? No. <laughs> Simple <laughs> as that. I, no, I was looking at... Um, I was looking at top four and thinking, you know, if we get top four, that's that's another improvement on our previous season. Um, I think that like last season only classes as a disappointment because you know who they shall not be named beaters to Champions League. So, mm. um, you know, so, but it was still an improvement on the previous seasons and this one's the same. 
you know, and and you know, I don't want to talk about it too much. But if it if you know what doesn't happen, then it's still an improvement. It's a massive improvement, and because we've not been in contention for a long, long time, and this season we're really in contention, and we've got a fantastic chance of winning it. How much do you put? some of what we've seen this season down to what happened last season, the end of last season, the, the, I guess the, the pain of yeah. missing out, you know, is, is quite acute because we were all invested in it. It didn't happen, but you know, as a player, when you go through something like that, where you go through a disappointment, how much can it influence you and your desire, your motivation, your, your work on the training ground, you know, individually and collectively to sort of make sure that doesn't happen again? I tell you what, what surprised me is like is that the way that we bounced back from that, you know, because it was a huge disappointment. Because the way that we played it away at Newcastle and then the way that we played at Tottenham mm. were like two really. They weren't just bad results; they were really bad performances as well. Um, and the way that we've turned that around to this season, where even if we go a goal down, even if we got a goal down at home, we, we don't panic anymore. Mm. You know, we, we we stick to our game plan, and it's been so evident this season. Um, and, I, and I've seen it. You know, I was at the game on um, on Saturday against Leeds with me half and half scarf and all that sort of thing. <laughs> and I'm entitled to it. I don't care how much they can get. <laughs> um, you know that you know we didn't start well again, mm. by the way. Um, but we just stick to our plan, you know, and it works. And the players are getting so much more confidence from that. Um, I think you know that's why I'm so impressed with this season because we've just like we've got rid of that hangover of last last season like straight away mm. and we've been we've been top or thereabouts nearly all the way through that those are sort of qualities that people might ascribe to a a really mature team right the no panicking the belief in what they're doing how impressive is it when you consider that I think you know Arsenal? I think the second youngest team in the Premier League because Southampton have have gone in a fairly young direction, and like it shows you where they are, where Arsenal are. Um, it can go both ways for you, but but that level of maturity and understanding of what they're being told and taught and coached and everything else by Mikel Arteta, you don't usually see that with young teams. It tends to be a bit more inconsistency, doesn't there? Yeah, no, exactly. You're dead right. You know, that's uh, with a young team, you, you do get inconsistent performances, but we've, we've not had that this mm. year. Um, you know, and it's almost like I look, I look at people like Bakayo, and I'm, you're almost talking about him as an experienced player now. Mm. You know, because of all he's gone through, yeah, he's still really young. Mm. Um, you know, but then with the additions that we've had, you know, as in Jesus, Zinchenko, and then Jorginho, they were three real masterstrokes by Mikel. Mm. You know, because he's brought in players that have been there and done it before, and then what what happens is when when they walk into the dressing room, not not just on games, but in the at the training ground as well, players look and try and copy what they do. You know, they'll take little bits from each each of them, mm. put that into their game, or put that into the way that they look after themselves. You know, so because you just think, wow, you know, they they've got the medals, they've got the trophies. You know, and this is what we want to be. So let's do a little bit of what they're doing. Yeah. But the mix is perfect for this Arsenal team, I feel. I mean, the the other thing is that there is, you know, a, a real hail-end influence here. Uh, Bakayo Saka, who you mentioned. Uh, Eddie Nketi has played his part. Emile Smith-Rowe, we haven't unfortunately seen um, the best of him this season, but hopefully he can make it back from injury and make a contribution. 
you know, when you won the title in, in 1990, 91, this was, I know it's a different era and a different time, but, you know, there was this was an Arsenal team that, um, you know, was forged out of, of Hayland with all the names that people know, yeah. like Tony Adams, Paul Merson, Paul Davis, uh, Michael Thomas, you know, these guys who were, who were there. I mean, does yeah. that... Does that connection with the club from a young age, it's very hard to quantify, isn't it? But does it bring something to a dressing room that, um, you know, when you're in the the race for a title, when things are going to the wire, there is something extra that you you can tap into maybe as a, as a youth player? Yeah, what, what, it, what it gives you, especially like the players that have come into the team, you know, from other clubs, um, you know, and you see, you, you see all these young players that like from the academies, from the youth teams, making it to the first team. It, it gives everyone hope, um, and it gives you a sense of pride as well for for the club, mm-hmm. you know, because they're doing it not just doing it on the pitch at the top end; they're doing it all the way through the club. You know, it's, it's successful all the way through, um, and I think it, it means so much more to the fans because. You know, when they love seeing you're one of our own, and you know, and all that, that that sort of thing. It, it makes them feel so proud because they know that they've got Arsenal in their blood. Mm. You know, and even <clears throat> you know, I joined in 1990, and you know, like now Arsenal's in my blood. But it's not the same as a homegrown player. Sure, you know, someone that's been there all the time. You know, like Tony, you can't get more red than Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that that you know that makes me feel so proud that I had him as my captain. But um, yeah, it, it is special, but it's it's about getting that mix, you know, of getting these youngsters, you know, whether, and even even if you get youngsters from a different club, get them in, get them used to what how the how the club is run, mm-hmm. and, and then how you play, and then how you're supposed to look at yourself. I always remember George Graham saying to us, "Remember who you are, what you are, and who you represent." Mm. You know, so it was that that was like the is. You normally got told that when you were in trouble. Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> or a warning before you went out one night, you know. <laughs> exactly, you know, so it was but that but that I always remember that that what that phrase that he used to say and mm. and, it, and it really stuck by me and um you know but when when the players are homegrown it, it is so much more special. Sticking with Bakayo, he's 21 years of age. He's got 13 goals, 11 assists, whatever it is. I don't have the stats exactly to hand, but he's like delivering week after week after week. And he's not just delivering for Arsenal, he's delivering for England as well. And you don't have to go back too far to to find a moment in his life, in his career where, you know, it it could have taken a bit of a sideways turn after that penalty yeah. miss. Like that, we've seen players in the past big players, experienced players, miss penalties, and it has a really detrimental effect on them for a while. Yeah. It, it shows you the, the character of his... Yeah. Of, of, of Bakayo, because, you know, doing that for England, you know, I've, I've been there, I've made mistakes with England, and to come back the way that he has just shows that, you know, that, that he's had a fantastic upbringing as well, because he's a really nice guy. Mm. You know, I, I go to the training ground every week, and he's always saying hello and he's always like waving across the, you know, the training pitches and stuff like that. Mm. You know? So he, it, it just shows me, shows me that he's a guy, he knows what it's about, you know, and for a guy of that age, you know, like I said earlier, you're, you're almost thinking about him as an experienced player because he's, he's gone through so much at a young age, but dealt with it as well mm. and still come out as, Bika- as Bikayo Saka, the other end of it. You know, even like now he's playing so well, he's assisting, he's scoring. He's the same guy. 
It's amazing, yeah. That's yeah. a great, he's a treasure, that. He's a jewel in the crown, isn't he, of, of the Academy. Um, I think the last time we spoke, we uh, it wasn't too long after Aaron Ramsdale signed. And there was a lot of talk beforehand about where he'd come from and the experiences he'd had as a player. You know, he'd been relegated with Bournemouth, relegated with Sheffield United. And people were asking questions or wondering about the fee. How impressed have you been with his development as a goalkeeper at Arsenal and, and you know, the kind of character that he brings to this team? I know there's the old trope about goalkeepers being a bit mental, um, but I think he is kind of one of those as well in a good way. Yeah, we, we, I call it a bit different, but I a know bit you different. Me now, you know, <laughs> like, I'm trying to like be a little bit more like me, Aaron, like a bit calmer, but he, he's, he's got to be himself. But no, he, he's had a, an amazing season. Mm. Um, you know, and he's he's making saves, like even against against Leeds, he made four or five saves. You know, which is like way too many as what I would expect them to yeah. be. You know, I wouldn't expect us to be giving that many chances away. You know, because they were almost like one v ones. But no, he, he, his character's shining through, and, and that's what I want. I, I want him to say with that character because that's it. That's him, and that's got him to where he is now. Yeah. You know, there's just sometimes a few little bits where he gets a little bit carried away. You know, as in like the um, the the penalty when he didn't even save it <laughs> against against Fernandez against Man United. And I was like, "Whoa, that was a little bit too much celebration," and you didn't save it, mate. <laughs> but you know, he, he knows about that. You know, and he's yeah. trying to he's trying to work with that. You know, and he's he is he's just getting better and better, and he's getting more consistent as well. I mean, he's only twenty four, which is in the life of a goalkeeper is is pretty young. Yeah, I, I was twenty six when I joined the club. Um, mm. You know, and I'd, I'd already had four years in the top division with QPR and one with Birmingham City actually as mm. well. So, so five years in the top division, and then I joined Arsenal. Um, you know, but with Aaron, you know, I know a lot. Of, a lot was said about the relegations that he had, but they that I, you know we talked about it before. You know, that that was great experience for him. Mm. He's played under pressure, you know, and that's what you, that's what it is. That's the biggest difference. The games are not that much different, but the pressure is a lot more when you play for Arsenal. And then there's another step for when you play for England. Yeah, I mean, do you think he's Aaron's knocking dead. on the the England door in a in a big way now? Oh yeah, it, it, they, he's getting closer. Mm. You know, you can't you can't take it away and say that he's England's number one yet because Jordan's not done anything wrong for England. Mm. You know, Jordan Pickford's been playing really well with England, and um, you know, until that changes, then you know, then they'll. But he's he's there. He's ready. You know, he, he's waiting to be. You know, to to step in. Um, you know, and that's what you have to do as England's number two or three. You have to wait until your time is there. You know, I, I had to wait. I would join when Peter Shilton was amassing an amazing amount of caps. And and then it was Chris Woods who was the number two. You mm. know? So then I had to wait for Chris, you know, all right, he didn't, he didn't stay in there long, but, and then I got in, you know, so that you, it, there's like a pecking order that you have to wait, you know, and um, that's what I did. And that's what I was going to do. And he's got to make sure that if he gets a chance of playing, he just goes out there and, and plays his own game, you know, mm. because it's his time. Do your time and then wait for your chance, I guess. Especially with England, yeah, yeah, you know, because it, it it takes a lot longer for it to change because there's not as many games. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Look, you mentioned a title race, and there's this prize that we're all really hopeful for, and maybe we don't want to say it out loud, but you know, we know what it is. We know it's there. You've been there and done that in title-winning dressing rooms. What is it like 
when you get to this point of the season is the pressure that we all experience as fans is that very much external or you know how does a manager for example um because you want it under under George Graham but you also want it under Arsene Wenger yeah. you know how does the manager in the next whatever it is seven weeks that we've got left how does he work his dressing room in in trying to keep everybody super focused and everybody, you know, eyes on the prize and all that kind of stuff. But as the pressure grows and as it, you know, the spotlight intensifies and you can, you can feel it's close, but it's not quite. And, you know, what is it like in the dressing room? Who are the guys that stand up uh, uh, in those times and, and what sort of contributions do they make? Yeah, so I had people like obviously Tony Adams all the way through my career almost, mm. and then and then Patrick Vieira, you know, and people like Dennis Bergkamp, Tierra Henry, you know, and you, and you watch these guys to see how they react and you don't, they don't change. No matter what the game is, what pressure's on it, you know, a lot of the pressure is external that's coming through from the press and now obviously social media. Um, but there's ways of coping with that. You know, you, you don't have to read it. Yeah. You know, because what the the biggest thing is is that that you 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 know you're all playing well because you're at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you're all playing well as a team. So focus on that, and then just just play the game and not the occasion. You know, that's the biggest advice that I can give to our lads now. You know, because all right, the occasion is winning the Premier League, but the game is the game, and you play your game. And that's what Arsene Wenger used to do. Whenever we had a pre-match um, team meeting, mm. all we talk about is us. We've had, well, the only time we talked about the oppo- the opponents was when we were doing set pieces, right? You know, to pick up or whatever. All the focus was on how good we were going to play or how good we were going to be. You know, and I'm sure that that's what Mikel's doing with this team. You know, because it's playing well, it's full of confidence. So, you know, block out the external pressures. But just focus on your game, you know, and and go to places like Liverpool and when we play Chelsea and when we play Newcastle, mm. you know, go, go to those and think of winning, you know, think of carrying on playing what we're doing and and actually winning, you know, to pick up the points rather than start getting a little bit nervy and thinking of a draw or anything like that. Just mm. go out there and play your game. Is the relative youth of the team almost an advantage in that situation yeah. where they? You know, there is a fearlessness of youth. As you get older, you get afraid of everything, right? <laughs> exactly. There's no baggage. There's yeah, no exactly. scar tissue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, then, yeah. so that, but that's what happens. That, that's why it's so good or so important to get that mixture of experienced players and young players, because young players just go out there and play mm. without any pressure, without any. They just go and freestyle it, you know, and they go, they go and want to show people what they can do, you know, and then. They're not. They're not afraid to make mistakes. Mm. You know, and that, that's that's the that's the best mix of all. But um, yeah, you know, it's let let them go out and play. You know, the, the experienced lads will look after the basic stuff in the game. Mm. You know, like organization and things like that, and then let them go and do their stuff. And um, and that's certainly what's happening. You know, and it's great that like Jesus is back now. Yeah. You know, people will say, well, we, Arsenal have not really had many injuries, but um, I think we have. We've had our we've had our main striker out since the World Cup. Yeah. Party's been in and out. Not as obviously he's played a lot more. Saliba's out, been out for a few games. We've had little injuries, mm. you know, but you know the, the biggest one was Jesus. But now he's back, and that's a great boost at, at this time of the season. Also, the you know the fact that someone like Trossard has come in and oh, like yeah, about him. Yeah. Hit, hit the ground, not so much running as like full. But he's like the road runner. He's he's hit it so yeah. fast. 
And the thing is, is he's got, like I said, he's got so much Premier League experience. So you're mm. not getting a player in that's not used to the pace and the physicality of the Premier League. Yeah. You know, I look at someone like Mudrid, who went to Chelsea, you know, and it's like, it can be a real shock. You know, I remember people like Patrick Vieira and Manu Petit and Nicholas Enelka saying, I can't believe how fast and physical the Premier League is. Yeah. You know, so it took them a little while. But, you know, with, with Trossard, he's just, he's just slotted in perfectly. And his assists are amazing so far and he's chipping in with goals. You know, even when he was asked to play as a striker, you know, he was dropping into midfield and picking picking things up and, mm. and getting more involved in the play. And it was brilliant to see, but it's because he's got that experience as a Premier League player. So look, we'll keep everything crossed that, uh, you know, things continue oh, yeah. for the next <laughs> nine games. You mentioned you're at the training ground every week. Is that a, a coaching thing? Yeah, I do a coaching thing. I, I try and get up there every week. Um, it's only on my time. Mm. You know, it's um, it's something I love. I, I go with the under-21s and under-23s down to under-18 goalkeepers. Um, and then, you know, just, just watch them train and see see if I can add little bits to their game or tell them about certain experiences. And, you know, and I chat with Aaron every now and then. And it's, yeah, it's just me putting something back. It's nice to be up at the, at the training ground because it, it brings back great experiences yeah. for me and great, great memories. Um, yeah, it's just nice. And, and things are going well, you know, the, the training ground's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when you're winning. He's got everything right. He, he wants the best out of everyone. He wants the best out of the team. He wants the best out of his staff. He wants the best out of the people at the training ground. It's just, yeah, it's a real nice place to be at the moment. Okay, well, let's hope it stays that way. Um, finally, your podcast. Uh, you're doing a live event on the 24th of April. Give us a, a little bit of info about that. Yeah, I am. We're doing our first ever Seaman Says Live, and it's at the Clapham Grand on the 24th of April. Um, tickets are still available at seamansays.co.uk forward slash live. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I've got Ray Parler there. Perry Rose is going to be there as well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We, we went on a site recce last week and it was really cool, you know, like to see this like really old and old style uh, theatre. Yeah. Looks like what you think it's going to look like, you know, with the chandeliers and all. You just think of Phantom of the Opera coming out from around the back or someone like that. You know, <laughs> you're not going to be doing any singing, I take it, no? No, not at all. I can't <laughs> sing, I can't dance. You've got to know what you're good at and you've got to know what you're bad at. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's the first one and I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. All right. We've got a couple of tickets to give away. We'll give people more details about that uh, in a couple of moments. But for now, we'll leave it there. David, thank you very much. Brilliant. Cheers. Thank you. That was David Seaman. Thank you very much indeed to him for his time. And if you would like to win a pair of tickets to go along to the event, which is taking place at the Clapham Grand on Monday, 24th of April. That's Monday, 24th of April. So please make sure you're available to go if you enter the competition. All you have to do is send an email to competition at arsblog.com. Answer the following question for me. From what club did Arsenal sign David Seaman? From what club did Arsenal sign David Seaman? Send your answer, please, to competition at arsblog.com. We'll pick a couple of winners at random, announce them on next week's show, and then we'll get in touch to make sure that you get the tickets for the event. So there you go. For more information on the show, by the way, as David said, go to seamansays.co.uk forward slash live. 
Shopify.com slash retail23. So I just wanted to mention the fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation that we are running in tandem with our friends at the Arsenal Vision podcast. All the funds raised are going to go to the Arsenal Foundation's work at the Zatari refugee camp in Jordan. 80,000 people, 80,000 refugees live there. They're doing incredible work for the boys and the girls uh, with their Coaching for Life program. It involves football, it involves education, and obviously as well, there are benefits for the wider families there as well. The Arsenal Foundation is funded entirely by donations. So whatever we can raise during the month of April will be absolutely crucial to them continuing the incredible work that they're doing and perhaps even expanding the work that they're doing. Initially, we set a target of £100,000. We reached that in less than three days, which tells you so much about the incredible communities that we have here at Arsblog and at Arsenal Vision and the wider Arsenal online community as a whole. The generosity, the compassion, the willingness to help, it's genuinely amazing. And if you spend a lot of time online, as many of us do, you might have a a cynical view of the world and the people in it. But things like this remind you that ultimately most of us are good and most of us want to help and most of us want to do the best we can for ourselves and for other people. So if you're in a position to help and only if you're in a position to help, please give what you can to this amazing cause. You'll find a link to the fundraiser, to the Just Giving page uh, in the show notes here in your favorite podcasting app or on the post that exists for this podcast on arsblog.com and anyone who does donate has a chance to win things like VIP tickets for the Brighton game you will watch from the box where they make the Breakdown Live program with Adrian Clark and Nick Bright there's a signed shirt from Ian Wright lots of other stuff as well so let's see what we can do throughout the month of April and how much we can raise for the Arsenal Foundation and their incredible work as I've said Arsblog will donate every single penny of our Patreon income to the Arsenal Foundation at the end of the month. So if you're already a Patreon member, just know that your your subscription fee is going to go to the Arsenal Foundation. If you want to sign up for one month only, you get full access to everything that we do on Patreon and your subscription will go to the Arsenal Foundation. It's patreon.com forward slash arsblog, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. And as I said, you will find a link to the fundraiser itself in the show notes. Thank you very much for indulging me on this for a few minutes time and actually by the way if you haven't already heard the episodes that Elliot did from the Zatari refugee camp uh, they're really well worth a listen you'll find them on the Arsenal Vision podcast feed titled uh, Stronger Together Part 1 and Part 2 um we will mention it throughout April, but we won't keep hammering it. We, uh, we're we very well aware that you guys want to listen to Arsenal content. But just to say thank you so much for what you've done so far. We're all very grateful. And let's see what we can do between now and the end of April. Right, let's get on with the show. We're facing Liverpool on Sunday, a difficult game. It has been for many years for us. And even if their season hasn't been as good as people would have expected, it's still going to be a very tough game. To talk to me about their season and much more besides, delighted to welcome back to the show from the Anfield Wrap, it's Neil Atkinson. Hi, Neil. Hello there. How are you? 
Uh, well, <laughs> in a seasonal sense, I've been better. But Liverpool's sunny today. You know, it's nice. We're bobbing about the place. Uh, there's an end of term feeling because it's the Easter weekend, and in a very unanfield rap way, everyone's got Friday and Saturday off. Okay. So, uh, so in that sense, good. Uh, in a general footballing sense, uh, a teeny bit miserable. It has been a really difficult and uncharacteristic season from from your team. How do you how do you try and Analyzer, how do you try and understand what's going on? Because some of it doesn't make any sense. You know, the difference between home and away, for example, doesn't really make any logical sense. When you step back a bit um, and you look at a team that was so close to winning the Premier League last season, a goal away from, you know, one goal defeat in the Champions League final, you still won two cups. As a sort of culmination of three, four, maybe five years of of incredible effort and consistency, is it a case maybe that there's just been a some kind of exhaustion that's kicked in this season? I think the exhaustion's part of it, no shadow of a doubt, uh, as far as that's concerned. I think also, as part of that, I don't think the level of exhaustion was entirely anticipated uh, from a Liverpool point of view. I think there was the idea of a bit of a hangover, but if you think about the other time we lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid, we come back the following season, post 97 points and win the thing. Mm. And I think that in the back of everyone's minds uh, around the club, there was, well, we should be able to to go again. And then you even look at the Community Shield final where we beat Manchester City 3-1, play ever so well. Um, and you think, all right, yeah, we're in good shape here. But I think there's a couple of other little things that have happened. I think Liverpool have made themselves less robust physically across the last two or three seasons. I think you can maybe point at the signing of Thiago, and that's not to, to say it's his fault or anything like that. He's sure. a wonderful footballer. But I think Liverpool have become a little bit less robust in a period of time where I think that, for instance, Manchester City have become more robust. There was a, When the teams lined up at Anfield this season, seeing the size of them uh, versus the size of us, and this is a side that used to have players like David Silver in, made me go, oh, hang on, something's mm. changed here. And that's the thing. I think the league shifted a little bit. I think the early games, you know, we our first three, we draw two all with Fulham, draw one all with Palace, and get beat two one at a, a United side who the week before had shipped four at Brentford. I think that opened to the the oppositions that were coming. The idea that Liverpool may well be vulnerable, and at times that's the encouragement that you need. Mm. And then within all of this, there's a recruitment question. Liverpool decided not to bolster midfield, despite the fact that Henderson and Fabinho played more games last season than they ever had before for Liverpool within a campaign. Uh, and both are the wrong side of, let's say, 27, uh, rather than just, say, 30 as a cliche. And then a couple of other issues. I don't think, for instance, Van Dijk's had as good a season as he did last season when he first came back from injury. And you see that from time to time with players who've been out for a while. It, it's not as straightforward as you might think. So I think all in, and then what began to happen is all these negative sort of aspects. And the fact that Liverpool were a bit transitional, you know, Mane moves on. Not that he's had a great season at Bayern Munich. I think he looks tired. But Mane's moved on. Nunez has come in. Gakpo's come in. Diaz was signed last January. Um, I think all of this has eroded Liverpool's levels of performance. And then every now and again, you get something like Liverpool 7, Manchester United (laughs) 0, where things click. They, They score the first goal in the game, which is a massive thing for them. And then everything becomes really, really straightforward. And I think through the season, there's been a few of them. I actually think Liverpool play well for half an hour at the Emirates, mm. uh, but conspire to concede two stupid, well, three stupid goals in the end, but stupid, two stupid goals at the start and end of the half. And there's been bits like that as well, where there's elements of, you know, Liverpool this season have conceded three goals uh, within seconds of the whistle uh, against Manchester City and Arsenal. You can't do that if you're going to compete with Manchester City and Arsenal. You can't gift 
in this daft way, you know, change the whole nature of a half like mm. that. And so all of this has sort of become this big, big, big problem that I think only really the end, not to say Liverpool can't come forth, I think they can, but only really the end of the season genuinely gets Liverpool close to a solution in amongst all of this, including therefore transfers. Sure. I mean, there were some backroom departures as well. Some people who left the club, you talked about recruitment and, um, you know, that has been uh, almost a jewel in the crown for Liverpool over the years. But there have been some movements behind the scenes where, where people who have been previously important have moved on. Is that too much of a stretch to say that their departures have had an impact? I think there's, there's 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 a couple of things here. One is that one of the key ones is Michael Edwards. So yeah. Michael Edwards was leaving. Um, he's done he'd done ten years in the job. He's, he wrote his letter to say he was going because he felt burnt out, and he's not rocked up anywhere else yet. You know, I think you can take that letter at face value. Some Liverpool supporters don't like that. We've all got our own online contingents, but to me, I think you know, ten ten years in one role is a hell of a long period of time. You know, it's a quarter of your professional life uh, in, in 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 all likelihood. Um, within that as well, Mike Gordon took a break uh, from being front line. Now, when Liverpool being exceptionally successful, it was the idea of Klopp working with Mike Gordon, who works close to Fenway Sports Group in almost a, uh, a quasi um, sort of semi-chief executive role, David Dean-esque, um, along with Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp. Gordon himself, who's now been over in Liverpool, splitting his time between Liverpool and Boston for 11, 12 years, he took uh, seemingly four, five months away. I think that's the one that sort of hurt. Liverpool promoted Julian Ward. That's not worked uh, into Michael Edwards' role. It looks like he will be moving on and Liverpool will be replacing externally there. Uh, Ian Graham moved on again. Ian Graham's done 10 years, 11 years at Liverpool. Uh, And I think what at times feels like, you know, because a lot of these things happen at once, you go, hang on, is something wrong behind the scenes? I mean, that could be the case. But there's another other response here, which is that there's just human scenarios. Effectively, people decide that they want to try different things. Supposedly, Mark Leyland has been a big loss behind the scenes. He went firstly to Newcastle. He's now moved from Newcastle to Manchester City. Um, And you do sort of wonder whether or not Liverpool could have found a different role for him, given the fact that he's now ended up rocking up at Manchester City. That is meant to be, you know, a bit of a significant loss. But I think think there's an organic aspect to these sorts of changes. Um, I don't think it is as simple as, or even as, I don't think it's necessarily something malign. Sure. I think there's just people... People have just done jobs for ages um, and there's a point at which you don't necessarily want to do that job anymore and you need to think about new things or even you need to think about your family. Yeah, I mean, we've been through some difficult seasons as Arsenal fans where it's felt like people at the top of the club down to the coaching staff, the managers, et cetera, et cetera. There's been not quite the the connection that you want. I think one of the features of, of Arsenal this season is it feels very together from the owners to the sporting director to the manager to the coaching staff and it spreads out you know to the fans and on onto the pitch and all of that kind of stuff has there been an issue with the the sort of uh, the FSG and the stories about the club being up for sale has you know does that suggest that there is maybe a little bit of a disconnect between the various departments that that should be aligned I think on that, I think first the first first and foremost, let's be crystal clear here, one of the things that Arsenal should be praised for uh, this season, and I would argue last, and I would also argue bridging the way in which last season finishes, is the staggering level of togetherness that's maintained through the club, on and off the pitch, and also involving the professionals at the club and also the punters. I think the way in which the Arsenal supporters understood what the back end of last season was responded accordingly and didn't decide, oh my God, everything is dreadful. And instead went, you know, when we really enjoyed that for six months, let's just do that again Mm. and see what happens. I think is, 
is actually an under-discussed story. I think that's what happens from time to time. I think it happened to us, and I think it has happened to Arsenal, is a supporter base goes, you know how we can have the most fun? Let's try and have the most fun. <laughs> and then before you know where you are, all of that, you obviously need the team to respond, but all of that coalesces into something that carries everyone along. And I think that's definitely happened at Arsenal. And I think that that's a story that often isn't told about London clubs uh, in a way in which it is told about clubs elsewhere in the country. Uh, and I think that there's vague patronising reasons in all directions for that. And I think Arsenal are worthy of enormous credit for everything that's gone on around there. I think from the, the Fenway Sports Group Liverpool sale sort of question conundrum, I don't think that that, necess- that is something that massively features in an online discourse sort of way. Mm-hmm. Where that means, what whether or not there's ramifications or has been ramifications for that behind the scenes at Liverpool is a really valid question. And I think it's one that we'll only really get the answers to when people are publishing books um, and especially the manager. I think the manager might have at times this season have felt like he's a bit on his own as discussed before about other people moving on on top of the idea of a sale. I think he may well have felt he was a bit under-supported uh, for periods mm. this season. That wouldn't surprise me. And not just supported in a literally in a financial way. I mean, also under-supported in a who's the person I go to speak to about what's actually happening here way. Um, I think in terms of whether or not that's hit the ground, i.e. hit what's happening in the stadium. I just think we, uh, and especially the people who are very online and very active in supporter circles, just often overstate that. You know, whether we like it or not, the vast majority of people go to football as an escapism. And there hasn't been sort of, you know, it might come up occasionally in pubs, but it's genuine. I get stopped in the street going through Liverpool to talk about all sorts of things. And it's very rarely, if ever, anything to do with Fenway Sports Group. And I think that that's worth. We just went to the US and did a, did some live shows, and we yeah. had this thing where we talk about one of five things, and one of them was the ownership. And it was never the one that people wanted to talk about. Uh, they wanted to talk about other stuff. Uh, it came up as one question uh, on one night. It, it, it isn't in real in people's real lives. It isn't at the forefront of the conversation. Sure. I think in a in an online sphere where there is understandable discourse about do, who does or doesn't own our football clubs. And I think in a in a sort of a football governance in the in the macro way, I think it's a really valid ongoing question as to who does or doesn't own our football clubs. And I think the ramifications of some of the people who have owned our football clubs are going to continue to own our football yeah. clubs. And e.g., having over a hundred charges against you is the sort of thing that does um, that, that that you know is is an important conversational point. But I don't think anyone really thinks that you know ultimately. It's 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 a burning question when you sit down in your seat at the match. It just isn't okay because there's enough stuff going on on the pitch, and you yes, know, we can all extrapolate. I think we've done it, you know, to our um, various extents, you know, on this podcast and everything and, else. And there right? is valid extrapolation. No, I mean, no, what sure, I would say yeah. here is that the, you know, if Liverpool had, for instance, invested more money uh, last summer in in three or four players and took a flyer and didn't feel as though every transfer has got to be absolutely picture perfect all the time, which I think is both wrong in general, mm. but also isn't a way to run a football club and does ask a couple of questions of the ownership in the grand scheme. If Liverpool could take more gambles, then arguably the league position right now will be better. That, that's so interesting because, you know, the I remember you guys waiting for Virgil van Dijk and everyone said, you know what? That's fucking smart. You know, they knew the player they wanted. Yep. They waited for him. They got that player in and that player made a huge difference. But of course, you know, it is just one transfer. That is not necessarily something that applies to every situation. And I think that's a really important point that what's smart in one one aspect in 2018 isn't necessarily smart in another aspect in, in 2020. Learned experiences. 
and they're a massive part of what we do and what we're about. And I think that that's something which I think having the ability to to shift and the ability to to to, to evolve strategies. You know, I think Liverpool. If there's one thing that I think Liverpool in a in a coaching capacity in a definitely involves mm. the people. At, on the ground at the at, at the training facility before you even have a conversation around the money is I feel as though Liverpool have maybe thought they can they can be smart in terms of buying Van Dykes and buying Allisons and buying Luis Diaz's but don't necessarily can go with for instance Harvey Elliott's so Liverpool have played this season with mm. you know Harvey Elliott until the other night against Chelsea Harvey Elliott's featured in every game and I like Harvey I think he's a good player tons of potential but he's Liverpool's only attacking midfielder so Liverpool have tried to mould this system where the right-hand side of centre midfielder attacks more, creates more space, Trent pushes up, we go from there. And that's the way we've yeah. played. And that's become more and more marked as though it's almost like a two and a one rather than three midfielders, which when it was Henderson, Wijnaldum and Milner, it's three midfielders. Mm. Now, when it's been Thiago, Fabinho, plus one, and this goes into last season as well, that one is almost at times played like a number 10. Liverpool, they'll go into this season wanting to play that way, but the only player they've really got who is looks like an attacking midfielder is Harvey Elliott, who's 19. Mm. So if you want to do that, then surely you know there's an argument, and I was writing it last summer, what's happened to Henderson and Fabinho around fitness, around other aspects, mental and physical fitness, is almost separate, but I think that that's what's being misunderstood. Sure. But I think if you want to play with an attacking midfielder, you need to have more than one attacking midfielder. <laughs> yeah, that's um, for sure. And... I think Liverpool are trying to be smart and think they can think the way around this stuff. And I think that is something that is on the training pitch of the Axa. I don't think that's an ownership question. I think there's other things that are ownership questions. I don't think this is. I think they thought we'll solve this internally with youth prospects, with bits and pieces, which is what Elias ultimately is, even though we, we did get him in from Fulham. I think that's where Liverpool maybe do need to reassess and say, you know what, there's nothing wrong with EG by a Martin Odegaard. There's nothing wrong with getting someone who you're not maybe 100% on, uh, but you can get him because you're Liverpool. Getting him, coaching him, working with him and improving him, that doesn't necessarily block the pathway of every young player at sure. the club on the one hand, and it is an admission of weakness on the other. Talk to me a little bit about the team selection against Chelsea the other night because I looked at it and I thought, you know, maybe I'm overstating it that it was maybe with a view to Sunday's game in mind, but when I looked at the league table, when I looked at the points, when I look at the fact that, you know, you you still have to play Spurs, you know, you take points off them, top four, as you mentioned, I, I think it's it's not easy, but it's not impossible for Liverpool. And given the way the season has gone, you know, how how did how did you rationalize that team selection when you saw it? Because I think one of the features of football online, being very online with football, is looking at the team. Uh, announcement and then everybody losing their shit for one reason or another what was what was it like with Liverpool fans when they saw that team the other night I, I didn't like the team when I saw it I was pleased to see Curtis Jones get an opportunity but I was just a bit I, I was just a little bit unsure uh, about a couple of elements in terms of rationalizing my rationalizing actually came the next day so I think before the international break from a Liverpool point of view or during the international break, there was a lot of us saying after the international break, we've got these three games. Mm. We've got Man City away, Chelsea away and Arsenal at home. They're a massive three games. They're their own thing. And then there's the rest of the season. I think Jurgen Klopp, if you want to talk about the team selections against Manchester City and Chelsea and then Arsenal, I think Jurgen Klopp hasn't viewed it as there's these three games and then there's the rest of the season. I think he's viewed it as there's these two games and then there's the rest of the season. And that might sound like a small distinction, but I think it's it's a bit of a crucial one. Liverpool's away form versus the home form is, mm. is a marked issue uh, and has been over the course of the campaign. 
but also I think on paper and there's footballs played, you know, on grass, but it also exists on paper. And if you're a manager, you've got to make plans. I think the managers end up looking at that and saying, we've got a Saturday, Tuesday turnaround on what year in, year out we view as two of our hardest five away fixtures. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to get through them. Um, we're not going to take chances. The lads who played a lot of international football, uh, e.g. Mo Salah, who plays two games for Egypt, we're going to manage them because we're going to need them for the running. The running starts for the game against Arsenal. Mm. So it isn't as though the big games against the sides at the top of the table are the issue. I think the way in which he's decided to go with this is City and Chelsea are their own thing, and then we're ready for the rest of the season. And we're just going to get through them ideally minimise the damage, hopefully get something from both of them. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, I don't think you throw, throw in the towel on either of them, but this is what we're looking at and this is how we're going to do it and this is how it's going to work. I think there might be a slight thing around, firstly, Van Dijk was ill, but also secondly, he might have decided that one or two of the players who burnt his head out against City in the last half an hour um, are, you know, he's, he's going to make a decision around them. But I think ultimately, I think there was a decision that was made around managing legs. Robertson plays a couple of really big, intense games for Scotland, for yeah. instance. So I think he'll have thought, we get them through these two, and then we run from there. I always felt you work the three as a three. But in hindsight, I think the manager's done the done the idea of you run the two. We should have Diaz and Thiago back, if not for Arsenal, mm-hmm. for Leeds, um, which is the one after that. So what that means is I, I feel as though I can flog Henderson because I'm very close to getting Thiago back. What else am I going to do? I feel like I'm close to getting Diaz back. I'll flog Jota. Jota will just lash him at these two games and then we might do something different for Arsenal. Uh, and the three that played up front against Manchester United uh, actually haven't played up front in that shape since that game. And, I, and they've had their minutes managed. Nunez, Salah and Gakpo have all had their minutes managed across these two games. Jot has been run into the ground. And I think that it'll be that from three that then therefore starts against Arsenal. And I think it's not the idea of he was resting people for Chelsea with an eye on Arsenal. I think he was managing the City and Chelsea fixtures with an eye on the idea that from Arsenal, Liverpool is sprinting to the line. Mm. No room for manoeuvre. We need to win every game. Can I ask you just a little bit about Jurgen Klopp and, you know, his impact at Liverpool has been uh, incredible. He's produced the most consistent Liverpool team for for a very long time, has won the Premier League after such a long time, won the Champions League. What do you think the appetite is, um, you know, during this season or from him when it comes to maybe putting this season in a box and going again next time around? And that's completely now what he wants to do, but I think he wants to do it with Champions League football. So I think, you know, Liverpool get anything, uh, any qual- Champions League qualification at this point, we just get to write the whole thing off and pretend it never happened. Mm. And I think that that's what you're going to love to do. That's his attitude, that's the aim, but you've now got to go and do that bit. And that's why, for me, there's something else as well. You know, I don't want to go into next season where Liverpool this season have only won three away games and then we we rock up first game of next season and we're away at Crystal Palace. And it feels from minute one like a massive psychological exercise. You know? That was that was us this season. That was yeah. That was us. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want that. I think Liverpool have got to. Even if they don't end up finishing top four, I think it's important as a club that they finish strongly until certainly the last couple of games of the season. If it's then a write off, it's a write off. You know, I think we, we've got remaining away games coming up now against Leeds, against West Ham. Um, against Southampton uh, and someone else who's down there, and uh, mm. then our remaining our remaining away games. Uh, Leicester, we've got Leicester as yeah. well, so we've got those four remaining away games. We haven't won um, anywhere against the side that's currently in the fighting relegation over the course of the season. Liverpool haven't won any of those matches. That's and mad. It's not good enough, and it's got to stop. 
and the root cause of what's bringing it about, whatever that might be, has got to stop. Um, and I think it's important that if you want to be serious next season, it's important that that stops now. So those remaining away games, as I say, against against Leeds, against West Ham, against Leicester and against Southampton, Liverpool got to go and take anyway, regardless of top four for me, they've got to go mm. and take 10 points. So you're able to say, all right, sounds. If you don't get top four, but you take 10 points out of them, then absolutely fine. But the messing about, and it has been messing about at times as far as I'm concerned, in those fixtures has got to stop. We always have a mild problem with the Blues in that for us, Goodison away is much harder than it is for most other sides. I know you got beat there in Dice's first game, yeah. which wasn't great timing. But I think for us, it's always a harder game. So you can write that one off, but you shouldn't be shipping. You shouldn't be basically not only have Liverpool not scored, not, not, not won away from home in any of those games, they haven't scored. So Chelsea are now 11th. We didn't score at Chelsea. We didn't score at Palace. We didn't score at Wolves. We didn't score at Everton. We didn't score at Forest. We didn't score at Bournemouth. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. It really is. You know, when you consider the talent and um, yeah. I, I think going back to what you were saying about maybe the aura cracking around the team a little bit, I think that's manifested in those away results because that doesn't happen if you have that uh, if you have that with you, you know? Absolutely. But also there's something else there, which is it isn't as though in any of those games you went off and you felt like the opposition keeper was man of the match. You know, and none of those yeah, did yeah. you come away from it and feel as though. I think Dean Henderson plays well against us for Forrest. But, you know, but even in there, there's daft moments. Jota should score last minute against Everton. Um, Van Dijk gets in back post for a header that for no reason he decides to head back across goal rather than just nod it into the back of the net against against Forrest. Mm. Carvalho misses a one-on-one in the first 10 minutes against Forrest. Bournemouth, we miss a penalty. Um, we're just terrible against Wolves and we just sort of collapse that day and fall to pieces. But... All of that is just, it is just really, really poor stuff. And it is what does need to, so that needs to change regardless between now and the end of the campaign. Mm. Before we get into any other bits and pieces and where we're going to finish in the league table, that simply has to stop. You're at home this weekend, which is good news for you. Um, But Arsenal, (laughs) (laughs) Arsenal are the best uh, away team in the Premier League this season. Our record away from home is is better than, well, certainly defensively, our, our record away from home is better than it is at home. You know, when you look at this Arsenal team, what... What do you like? What impresses you? What worries you from a Liverpool fan's perspective? First and foremost, I think that the Arsenal team's got itself into a groove where everyone knows the job and they're an exceptionally difficult football team to disrupt. So you mentioned that, that you know, that the excellence of that away record there. For me, what's notable, certainly in comparison to Liverpool, is, you know, you look at the table and Arsenal have been to Brentford, Fulham, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Leeds and Wolves and haven't conceded. And what that says to me is this is a football team that's, and whenever I've seen Arsenal this season, which is a fair bit, you know, it's a team that's prepared to pick its moments. Mm. It's a team that is rarely riled. Um, I think it's managing games really, really well without at times feeling like anyone is particularly outstanding. I think Odegaard's had a brilliant season. I think everyone can see the quality and potential of Saka uh, consistently in there as well. Um, I feel as though Martinelli can be a force of nature and exceptionally difficult to deal with. I think Zinchenko is so bright in terms of the way in which he plays the game and mm. reads and understands the game brilliantly. I think Xhaka is obviously culturally really important for the for the team and the club. I think Saliba's been the business whenever I've whenever I've caught him, and I think his passing through midfield is really important for this Arsenal side uh, and has been. And I think it will be a miss if he can't make it because of the back injury. So I think there's there's without there being a sort of a a clear standout facet or footballer. I think there's just so much quality so much excellence that sort of runs itself right the way through the side and again in terms of everyone knowing the job mm. for me in a really weird way the footballer who most concerns me 
coming into the weekend's game because I think he scored more goals at Anfield than Ian Rush is Trossard. Yeah. Um, he is uh, he's got an unbelievable record against us and he's so bright in his movement he, he, he has the sort of clever movement that Liverpool even when Liverpool were playing ever so well struggled to keep up with yeah. and deal with um, so as odd as it might be given the fact that I've just praised all these other footballers I think if you were away you know if you were away at Manchester City or if you were away at Newcastle or if you were away at uh, if you were away, if you were away at Manchester United I wouldn't be saying I'm worried about Trossard, but his, his sheer record at Anfield and the fact that I don't think it's an accident. I do not think it's an accident. I think there's things that he does that Liverpool haven't liked dealing with. It's Trossard who concerns me the most. That is so interesting because we had a big discussion about this. Like, what do you do when you've got a front three of potential front three of Jesus, Martinelli and Saka? And you also have Leandro Trossard there who scored a hat-trick earlier in the season for Brighton. You know, that little bit of psychological edge might well play a part in, in Mikel Arteta's team selection. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. I mean, the last thing I want to ask you, Neil, is, you know, you've been there, done that, and worn the T-shirt a few times when it comes to this point of the season in a scrap with Manchester City. Any words of advice for Arsenal fans who are, you know, beginning to feel a little bit um, antsy because, you know, the prize is big. It's been so long since we've won it. And we know that despite the fact we've got this eight point gap, we are up against a kind of relentless football machine. First and foremost, and I feel like it has happened, it's important just to enjoy the process. And that can sound, you know, ridiculous and it can sound sort of airy fairy. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it was you know, watching and listening to the way in which the Emirates responded to the 3-2 against Manchester United, for instance, earlier in the season, you know, it's a 90th minute winner, was genuinely incredible. And I think it's worth, you know, this is the point. that the So I, I've been lucky to interview Jurgen Klopp on a few occasions, and, and I like to think I sort of get on quite well with him. Um, and once I interviewed him and I said... I started the interview a certain way. It was about it was after we'd won the Champions League, and the way I did the interview was I, I decided because he'd been asked so many questions by the point I got to him because I'm very much low in the pecking <laughs> order. I thought, well, I'm going to ask about the 24 hours, like the 12 hours either side of the final whistle, and what his life was like and how he felt, and that's the way I did it. And one of the things I said quite offhand as I was going, I said was, and the other brilliant thing, obviously, about this result, Jurgen, and you must have thought about it on the night, was it made beating Barcelona four 0 better. And he said, no, it didn't. He said, if we'd have got beat. Beating Barcelona 4-0 would still have been one of the best things, if not the best thing that's ever happened to me in football. And I think that it's easy to say, and it can sound like it's trite, but I think that enjoying and relishing every single step of the journey is is deeply important. So those home wins, those late comebacks, these games that Arsenal have had and that you've gone through so far through this campaign, Quite literally, no one can take them off you at this point. This has happened. I think the other thing I'd say is this is a side with an average age of about 24 and a half. Mm. Um, and all the players are, you know, with one or two exceptions, are moving into their peak years. And it seems quite a straightforward squad to recruit, more, recruit, recruit for. Mm-hmm. So if it goes wrong at this point, then, you know, I've got loads of ambitions around Liverpool next year, but one of the teams we're going to have to get past more so than, say, Manchester United, more so than Tottenham, uh, is, is Arsenal, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and it will be that you're not going anywhere either. So for me, the most important thing, regardless of where this now ends up, I would argue from an Arsenal point of view, is enjoy the journey. We got 97 points. I came out of beating Southampton 3-1 in around 
It was 1-1. We were terrible for the first half an hour. They went 1-0 up. We made it back 1-1, and Salah runs through the middle. People may or may not remember the goal. He burst through the middle. He hadn't scored for about uh, eight games, Salah. He burst through the middle, runs through, um, <clears throat> holds the defender off, and pings it uh, onto the inside of the post, goes in. He possibly should square it to Firmino, but he doesn't. He does the right thing in the end because he scores. Mm-hmm. And it's the best celebration I think I've ever been part of. And I was crying uh, on the way, <laughs> on the train back from Southampton to London. We were staying in London. I sort of, I was trying to write me piece because I have to write after the matches and I sort of burst into tears. And one of the reasons why was I thought I might never feel like this again because we're going to win this league. We are going to win this league and I may never feel like this again. And I, it was the most incredible thing. And I felt like like this moment that possibly something might be lost because this this unreal moment of finally we're going to do the thing. And then City beat us to the title. They got 98 points. We got 97. Vincent Company blams one in the top corner with uh, against Leicester. And we've got to all pick ourselves up, but we won the European Cup. And then the next season we win the league. And I think that genuinely my words of wisdom insofar as they matter uh, and people can choose to regard them or disregard them in any way they want is enjoy and relish every last second of this when it goes well when it goes badly the very fact that you're at the business end the very fact that it feels the very fact that it matters more than anything else the very fact that you go to bed at night and it's the last thing you think of and you wake up and it's the first thing you think of that's the best bit it is not the worst bit don't do the thing where we all feel sorry for ourselves don't say oh it's the hope that kills you absolutely go fuck yourselves it's not the hope that kills you being crap and only scoring away only winning three away games in a season kills you mm. this is the best bit this is the reward and so my message for Arsenal fans, if they want one, is no matter what happens at Anfield, I think we're going to win, by the way, on Sunday. I don't want to be an idiot about it. This is just what we do. We're horrible. It's a nightmare. We'll probably play quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll then get beat at Leeds. I apologise to everyone in advance. <laughs> um, Leeds will beat us 1-0. We'll miss a pen. Um, I... I Regardless of what happens on Saturday, regardless Sunday, sorry, regardless of what goes on to happen, there's a massive game obviously coming at the Etihad uh, for you as well. There's you know there's fixtures remaining, tough ones. Uh, I wouldn't like the look of Brighton at home, current climate, for mm. instance. That I know you've got, you've probably got a red circle around Newcastle away. Could be trappy at the minute. Enjoy it and have enjoyed it and have relished it and have taken every last minute of it. And as I say, when I hear the Emirates. And when I see the Emirates on television, I feel like that's happening. And I hope that that then radiates to the Arsenal supporters everywhere around the world. There's only a few of us who are lucky enough to be able to be in these grounds. I hope that goes through everyone because this is the best bit. So no matter what happens up against Manchester City, this is the best bit. And if you're not all looking at each other at the end of the season saying, I tell you what, it was a joy to be alive that year, then you're doing it wrong. This is the best bit. Relish every minute of it. That's what I'd recommend. Well, thank you very much. I think everybody is having fun. That is the that is one of the the key parts of why this season has been so much fun is that everybody is together and everybody is enjoying it. Um, Hopefully we enjoy it a bit more on Sunday than you, but look, we'll wait and see what happens, Neil. It's great to talk to you as always. Thanks very much. Thanks. Neil and the crew do amazing work over at theanfieldrap.com. So if you've got a Liverpool person in your life and they don't know about it, send them that way, theanfieldrap.com. Okay. I think we're going to leave it there for now. We will be looking ahead to the Liverpool game in a little bit more detail after Mikel Arteta's press conference tomorrow. Takes place at 1.30pm on Friday at the time when I'm recording. We'll preview the game as always over on Patreon, myself and Lewis Ambrose. That'll be available for you Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon anyway. We'll uh, talk about the game, the permutations and all the rest of it. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. In the meantime, have your 
yourselves a great weekend. Fingers crossed for Sunday for the right result in the football. That will make all of our weekends good, regardless of how many chocolate eggs you do or don't get. We will have an Arsecast Extra for you on Monday, so please do join us for that. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. A lot of people asked if we could get the mug smasher on the podcast today ahead of the game against Liverpool on Sunday. And uh, here he is. We're sitting in a car after some um, very enjoyable golf. <laughs> enjoyable is not the word I would use. Right. Well, give me a word to describe Liverpool's season in your vocabulary. Really? Just one word. Yeah. You get this little Chice? Hat. Yeah. You yeah. Be- we could talk about the season... Uh, when we won the league which is the last time I was on your podcast it is you've been very good since then I haven't been invited back since we got near winning the league it's notable right and now that we're shy again y'all want to talk to me it's a conspiracy yeah it's a vast conspiracy against the Mug Smashers no I mean you uh, have been really good for a long time and have been beating us pretty much all the time that's true yeah it's a a wild season like it it doesn't make any sense and then also it makes loads of sense um, at the same time. And uh, and then it's just, I just, I don't know, I'm scratching my head. And uh, it looks really bad and I don't see a way out of it at the moment. It doesn't look like the players know what they're supposed to be doing in games. The Chelsea game was so bad. It was really poor. Yeah. And I know we have a record of playing against you and we do play better at home. Yeah. And we can turn up for a big game, but I don't go into the weekend with any confidence how do you I mean the home and away difference is absolutely crazy isn't it because you're the third best team in the league uh, behind Arsenal and Manchester City at home home, and away you're like I think 13th or 14th there's no logical reason why that should be the case considering you know the the players you have and the the stature that you've had over the last uh, number of years it's absurd but I mean it, it shows I suppose how big a role confidence plays in this thing, mm, you know? True. And, and you've seen what's happened to Arsenal this year. You know, you win a few games and then you build confidence and mm. that momentum can be hard to stop. But it seems our confidence is long gone. And, like, we haven't been helped by all the injuries. It's been a pretty shitty season in that regard. And then key players have just, their form has fallen off the cliff. And um, But they look rudderless at the moment and it's really worrying yeah, which is probably fun for you lot. To watch, no, but, but no, but I mean, we we have a common enemy, of course. You know, um, who's that? Manchester City. 
Oh, yeah. 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 Which is why, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think for the good of humanity and football itself, Liverpool should take their away form into this game on Sunday to ensure <laughs> that Guardiola doesn't get a, another title. I mean, obviously, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. And part of me wants City to win. <gasps> yeah. Why? Because you haven't been through enough pain and suffering yet. And <laughs> last season, you wanted to throw your manager out, so you shouldn't win this no, season. No, not last season. That was season before. Last season. Well, no, not me. Allowed, no, not you. No, but a large proportion of your fan base for... Some of them. Yeah. Some of them. I suppose you, can, you can't use Twitter to judge stuff. No, you can't. No. <laughs> um, so the really bitter part of me wants, still wants City to win. But right. I know that's counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you really need to worry about us this weekend because you're you're better at the moment. And I don't think whatever happened that Man United match, you know, mm. I don't know what that was. The, your one, the 7-0. Yeah, mm. I don't know what that was, but it's not going to happen again. Um, having said that, in the seasons when you know when we've been brilliant and you've been poor, some strange results have happened as mm-hmm. well. You know, there's the two-two at the Emirates when Chaka played the game of his life. Was that three-three or two-two? Oh, something. could have been three-three. Yeah, because you were three-nil up. I yeah, think it was a score draw. Yeah. Um, so I suppose you never know what's going to happen. But I'm not confident, and I don't know any Liverpool fans that are. Okay. Well, look, we'll um, we'll see what happens. Do you have any outside hopes of making top four? I mean, it's not too far away, which is why the team against Chelsea was so surprising to me that he didn't go for it a bit more. But it wasn't. But it wasn't uh, not going for it. It was. It was punishing the players that were so shite against City. I mm. mean, he couldn't pick the same team again. I guess that's true. You, you know, have there to has do something. To, yeah. There has to be competition for places. It looks like a lot of complacency, or um, on the surface, it looks like complacency is set in. But I don't know. I don't think that was a throwing in of the towel. I thought it, he was just looking for solutions, but they uh, they didn't look like they knew what they were doing. What? A, uh, what we is, had? Did yeah. we have one shot on target? I can't remember. Can't remember. Yeah, and if if Chelsea had a striker, I mean, it would have been five. They had so many chances. What is your? On one to ten, what's your sort of faith level in Jurgen Klopp being able to compartmentalise this as a, you know, a bad season and then go again next time? Um, I mean, I think he's obviously earned that right, and I think the majority of the fan base are behind him and want him to have an opportunity to to rebuild. Um, but there's question marks. You know, he's never done it before. Hmm. But he he's earned the right. The, the man's a legend in in the club. Um, so let's see. Let's if, see if, if you know if you can get some players in in the summer. Um, but I think there may be a bit a bit too much faith in some of the older players and um, some of the younger players that we're expecting to come through maybe haven't performed as well uh, to take up those midfield roles. Um, but I don't. I mean, I, I don't see us winning another away game for the rest <laughs> of the season. So I don't think top four is going to happen. Yeah, you'd need to really change that. Uh, quick thoughts on. Arsenal and what we've been doing this season. Ah, it's amazing. And I, I see a lot of parallels in what happened with us a few years ago. Um, you know, when the fans started to believe. Uh, and it's just a, it's just so much fun mm. as a fan to watch your team play that well. And also to have, I suppose, the, the free... Uh, not freedom, but you don't really have an expectation that you're going to win the league, so you can just kind of enjoy it. 
And if you don't win the league, you can always say, well, we didn't really expect to. You know, City are always going to win. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it must be fun. It yeah. must be fun to watch. It's overdue. It's been a while since we've had a, a team this good and a, a title race uh, but it's or a title weird. challenge of, of this um, caliber, I guess you would say. So, But I mean, no, I can't. I'm sure you didn't expect no, things to progress this quick. Not this quick. No, I, you know, was hopeful we could really push for top four and and you know finish in the top four relatively comfortably. I didn't expect us to be where we are with yeah. uh, with nine games to go. So, and how many points are you on now? Uh, I don't know how many points we have, but we're eight clear of City. They have a game yeah. in hand. But you're on you're on course for like a mid nineties. Potentially, yeah, yeah. I suppose I could look it up, couldn't I? Um, you could. With the thing in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> With all the information in the world at my fingertips. Premier League. Uh, I should know this, I suppose. You should. You really should. But I'm not I'm not looking at the table in that way. 72. City on With 64. Nine With nine games to go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it takes, though, isn't it? It's so like you're, it takes... you're eight up on City. They have a game in hand and, mm. they have to, and they have to play you. And we have to go to City, yeah. Yeah. So a lot could come down to that game. Yeah, yeah. Who else have you got? Have you any more big games? Newcastle yeah. away. You yeah, guys away. Again, Newcastle. Chelsea at home. Brighton at home. Brighton. So, you know, it's not easy. It's yeah. not an easy run in by any means. So, um, Well, I wish you well. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It, not, not on Sunday, obviously. No. But after that. Yeah, after that, yeah. Hopefully yeah. that's the difference. Your good wishes will get us over the line. Yeah. It's never worked before. It's always the first time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mook Smasher, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23.